if you're joining on Zoom. If you're joining live on Zoom, please say hello in the chat. Having your chat set for everyone will give everyone else in the Zoom a chance to see your greetings. Please say hello. Whether you are a brand new visitor, a longtime member, a neighbor from another ethical society or Unitarian Universalist congregation, or a person who is not in any of these categories. There's also a closed captioning option on Zoom that can be turned on or off. The chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. Visitors, we hope you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. If you are a visitor watching the recording later, this invitation is for you as well. You can fill out a connection form at tiny.cc slash westconnects. So I will now read a few of these greetings that people have been putting into the chat. And while I'm doing that, you may want to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. So let me see what we have. Oh, lots of stuff in here. Okay, we have lots of good, good mornings. Hold on, I got a, I got a thumbs up. I got a thumbs up from Maceo. Can't really uh, read that. So, um, Shirley Storms says, Good morning on this cold morning. And Kate says, Welcome. Maceo, thanks, Kate. Good morning, he says. Adam Limehouse says, Good morning, Wes. Maceo reiterates, Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Brian and Leanne say, hello. Rajesh, good morning, Judy and all. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Robin says, good morning, y'all. Happy Sunday. I hope everyone is staying warm today. Oh boy, that's the truth. Joe Klein says, good morning, everyone from Joe and Darwin, both back home in DC. If I'm not mistaken, Darwin is a furry being. Hope that's correct. Um, Christine says, good morning. Pat McNeely, uh, good morning. Adam Goldberg, good morning to all. Abby Dakin says, good morning. Vincent Tyler, good, good morning from Vincent and LRT. Yay. We have Ed Elder saying good morning to everyone. Bill Wilson says, good pre-snow morning. Yeah, well, I suppose. Jeff Mihal, good morning, Judy and Wes. I hope everyone's prepared for the crummy weather we're supposed to get. To paraphrase Ethel Merman, there's no business like snow business. Yes, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Abby Jenkins says, Joe, it was nice to catch a little glimpse of Darwin during the Strategy Saturday focus group. Yes, we had uh, uh, 
furry, furry feline participants. And, uh, Donna Taylor, good morning, everyone. Stay warm. Abby Dakin is amused by Jeff Mehal. Aren't many of us. Uh, so let's see. Oh, Perry Biter is here. Well, here being a relative thing. Good morning from Perry B. Yes, Joe Klein confirms that Darwin is a kitty cat. Eunice Adkins, sending love. Good day, good people. And uh, top of the morning. We have a top of the morning. Jesu Jacobson. Well, I got all kinds of people in here. Good morning. It's, I'm, I'm having fun reading these. But I'll, I'll stop in a minute. Sue Jacobson says, good morning, everyone. Sherry Goodall, grand rising, everyone. I'm excited about visiting for the first time. Well, welcome, 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 Sherry. Um, to all folks, please be sure to set your chat settings to everyone, and then we can all benefit from your uh, chat. Abby, Jeff, I prefer snow to 36 degrees and raining. I guess I don't have to read every single one of these, but it's fun. <laughs> Shayla says, good morning, Aaron Hill. Yay, welcome. Aaron is a guest uh, musician. So, okay. Phew. Wow. All right. So it is good to connect and to share this time together. Once you are prepared, I invite you to settle in wherever you are as we continue to gather <clears throat> opening words this morning are a series of quotes um, by the reverend dr martin luther king uh, I'm sorry, Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. There are some things in our social system to which all of us ought to be maladjusted. Hatred and bitterness can never cure the disease of fear. Only love can do that. We must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Before it is too late, we must narrow the gaping chasm between our proclamations of peace and our lowly deeds which precipitate and protect perpetuate war. One day we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but a means by which we arrive at that goal. We must pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means. We shall hew out of a mountain of despair a stone of hope. We begin our platform with music from guest musician Aaron Hill. Thank you. 
Oh, so lovely. Thank you so much, Erin, for bringing us that. Welcome once again. Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you are interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc readsop. You can record a video of yourself reading the statement of purpose if that works better for you, or you can present the statement of purpose alongside us as we broadcast live. If you're relatively new to the community or haven't been as active lately, it's an easy way to introduce or reintroduce yourself. On days when no other member signs up, officiants such as myself are happy to do the honors. Here is our statement of purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith and human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Today's platform is a reminder of the meaning and continued relevance of the holiday honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Today's story is one that he told during his lifetime. Hello, I'm Lynn Cox. My pronouns are they, them. I'm the interim leader here at the Washington Ethical Society. For today's story, I'm gonna read part of a speech that Dr. King delivered to delegates at the Unitarian Universalist Association General Assembly. This is from the Ware Lecture in 1966. And in that time, it was more common for the UUA to use certain terms such as church. And Dr. King was coming from his own context of liberatory Christianity. And so I ask that we not get caught up in the vocabulary that was relevant in that time and place and focus instead on the deeper meaning. And here's what Dr. King said. Let me say that I'm happy to be a Ware lecturer and to be a part of the great names that has been in this lectureship. It's a real privilege and I can assure you that it is a real honor to be in this significant lectureship. I would like to use as a subject, the church remaining awake during a great revolution. I'm sure that each of you has read that arresting little story from the pen of Washington Irving entitled Rip Van Winkle. One thing that we usually remember about the story of Rip Van Winkle is that he slept 20 years. But there is another point in that story which is almost completely overlooked. It is the sign on the inn of the little town on the Hudson from which Rip went up into the mountains for his long sleep. When he went up, the sign had a picture of King George III of England. And when he came down, the sign had a picture of George Washington, the first president of the United States. When Rip Van Winkle looked up at the picture of George Washington, he was amazed, he was completely lost. 
he knew not who he was. And this incident reveals to us the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not merely that he slept 20 years, but he slept through a revolution. While he was peacefully snoring up in the mountains, a revolution was taking place in the world that would alter the face of human history. Yet Rip knew nothing about it. He was asleep. One of the great misfortunes of history is that all too many individuals and institutions find themselves in a great period of change and yet fail to achieve the new attitudes and outlooks that the new situation demands. There is nothing more tragic than to sleep through a revolution. And there can be no gainsaying of the fact that a social revolution is taking place in our world today. We see it in other nations in the demise of colonialism. We see it in our own nation in the struggle against racial segregation and discrimination. And as we notice this struggle, we are aware of the fact that a social revolution is taking place in our midst. Victor Hugo once said, there is nothing more powerful in all the world as an idea whose time has come. The idea whose time has come today is the idea of freedom and human dignity. And so all over the world, we see something of freedom explosion. And this reveals to us that we are in the midst of revolutionary times. An older order is passing away and a new order is coming into being. The great question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in such a period? Certainly the church has a great responsibility because when the church is true to its nature, it stands as a moral guardian of the community and society. It has always been the role of the church to broaden horizons, to challenge the status quo, and to question and break mores if necessary. I'm sure that we all agree that the church has a major role to play in this period of social change. So ends the excerpt. Dr. Dr. King was speaking to an audience of people he considered allies in the work for racial justice. Yet he knew that even among allies, the appeal of the status quo has some influence. Many years later, we still find ourselves in a period of social change, and we ask again what it would mean to be awake during a great revolution. What would it mean for the community that we are part of to show leadership in that awakening? How can we achieve the new attitudes and outlooks that the new situation demands. As we consider our network of mutuality and awaken to our shared responsibilities, let's enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of the people of the island nation of Tonga after the devastating volcanic eruption and all those affected by it and the resulting tsunami. As we listen to the chime, let us remember, remember our connection to each other and the world around us.
Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you to take a breath that is nourishing for your body. Attend to the feeling of your in-breath, your pause, your out-breath. If it helps you to find your center, you may want to adjust your posture to a position that is attentive yet at ease, stable and flexible. Open your mind and heart to this very moment, to this moment of possibility. Each breath is a beginning. So once more, open your awareness to the present, focus on your in-breath, your pause, your out-breath. Wherever you are, whenever you are, be in that time and place as we receive these words from William Sinkford. There is so much work to do. We have only begun to imagine justice and mercy. May we hold fast to our vision of what can be. May we see the hope in our history and find the courage and the voice to work for that constant rebirth of freedom and justice. That is our dream. So ends the reading. May each breath be a beginning of the rebirth of freedom and justice. We continue our meditation in silence and in the music that follows.
That was so delightful. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing that with us. <sighs> the reading today is The Flawed Understanding of Martin Luther King Jr. by Aisha Ansano. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a radical. He was called the most dangerous man in America by the FBI and had a 17,000-page FBI file at the time of his death. It wasn't just KKK members or those in positions of power who disagreed with him or hated him. As Cornell West explains in his book, The Radical King, by the time of King's death, most of the country didn't like him. There was intense FBI pressure, including attempts to make him commit suicide, West reminds us. The black civil rights leadership was trashing him. The white establishment had rejected him. The young black revolutionaries were dismissing him. Over the course of his life, King was not a man who was loved by most. In fact, he was hated by a select few. He was an incredibly maligned man by the time he died. And yet, we never talk about that. Instead, we praise and honor him and hold him up as the highest standard of the struggle for justice. We as a society measure all who struggle for justice against Dr. King, but not against who he actually was. We measure those who struggle for justice against who we have decided Dr. King was, a sanitized version of the actual man. As a society, we tell activists that their protests are too unruly, their demands too harsh, their voices too strident, their methods too stringent. We have decided as a society that there is one way to struggle for justice, and it's the way we like to imagine King struggled for justice, even though it's not the way he actually did. In the summer of 2016, protesters took to the streets around the country condemning police brutality and proclaiming that black lives matter, as he happened, as, a, as has happened over and over again with these sorts of protests, many people criticized their methods and tactics. In a press conference, Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed stated, Dr. King would never take a freeway. Anyone remember the powerful thing King organized, the marches from Selma to Montgomery? the ones that entailed several hundred people walking down a highway and crossing a bridge, blocking cars from being able to drive on it. The flawed understanding of King is everywhere, and it has seeped into our society's understanding of what is acceptable or appropriate in the struggle for racial justice. Thank you, Judy. So what if Rip Van Winkle had fallen asleep in 1966 and woke up in 2022? He would have fallen asleep when Lyndon B. Johnson was the president of the United States. Maybe Joseph R. Biden wouldn't have been too much of a shock at first glance until Rip found out more about who had come and gone from the White House and about our groundbreaking vice president. Rip would have fallen asleep before the Stonewall Uprising in 1969 and so would have awakened to differences in LGBTQ liberation. Women can have credit cards and bank accounts in their own name now. Smartphones would be new. 
Rip would have fallen asleep just after the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and returned to a country where voting rights are under constant attack. In other words, some of the tactics and technology we use to move toward love and justice may have changed. We have made progress in some areas of liberation and other aspects of our struggle turned out to be long-term fights, generation to generation of lifting up human dignity, economic equality and voting rights. White supremacy is well entrenched and it is part of our calling as people who humanize the spaces we inhabit to continue to dismantle it. In 1963, Dr. King said in a television interview, I think the tragedy is that we have a Congress with a Senate that a minority of misguided senators who will use the filibuster to keep the majority of people from even voting. They won't even let the majority senators vote. And certainly they wouldn't want the majority of people to vote because they know that they do not represent the majority of the American people. We're still dealing with the filibuster, which has gotten even easier to use to block voting rights legislation. And the arguments for the filibuster are similar to the arguments that misunderstand Dr. King's message. Theoretically, it helps people work across differences and find common ground, except that it can be conveniently bypassed when it's a question of giving a huge tax giveaway to billionaires. As my colleague Aisha Ansano reminds us, Dr. King was not advocating for merely being nice or for giving up ground to systemic racism. The people who misuse his message of peace to spread a directive of compliance with oppression have it backwards. Nonviolence does not mean no boundaries. Nonviolence does not mean tolerance for dehumanization or injustice. Nonviolence does not mean convenience for those who uphold an unjust status quo. We can have love for people who uphold systems of oppression and believe in the possibility of their transformation without cooperating with their project of dehumanization. Love means telling the truth. It is wrong to misuse the love that Dr. King spoke of as an excuse to allow harm to continue unobstructed. It is wrong to uphold virtues like cooperation and mutual understanding as a cover story for the continued attack on voting rights. The confusion between transcendent love and tolerance for injustice is related to the confusion between boundaries and personal opposition or dislike. Dr. Cornell West in his book, The Radical King, speaks of the power of love and the philosophy of nonviolence. West says, revolutionary nonviolent resistance is directed at the forces of evil rather than against persons who commit the evil. The enemy is injustice and oppression, not those who perpetuate the injustice and oppression. And this kind of radical love, Dr. West continues, goes against our common instincts and moral institutions. In this sense, the application of radical love in public action requires not only tremendous moral discipline and fortitude, but also profound trust in the redemptive power of love. This trust assumes that the unearned suffering of love-motivated nonviolent resistors can educate, transform, and even convert one's opponents. The aim is not simply to rely on the moral sense or conscience of the adversary, but if need be, to force the adversary to develop such a sense of conscience. 
In other words, Dr. King's call for nonviolence built on love is not a license to those who uphold oppression to demand silence. It is not an incentive to give up and allow for the kind of backroom bargaining that blocks civil rights. And it's definitely not an assurance that advocacy and witness should always be safe or convenient or deferential to power and privilege. Something else we should keep in mind is that the outspoken adversaries of human rights are not the only people perpetuating injustice and oppression. Those who are half-hearted in their support, those who undermine the movement from the sidelines, those who go back to sleep during a great revolution are also complicit. And I have to admit that sometimes I might be one of these. It is definitely true that any progressive organization large enough to have institutional power is in danger of listing to the side of the status quo, trying to retain members and donors from among the privileged classes, even when those constituents are well-meaning and say the right things, can cause tension for an organization that values love and justice. Luckily, the philosophy of nonviolence always leaves open the path of correction. When we participate in organized resistance, when we spend quality time listening to our neighbors who are most impacted. When we remain open to the wisdom of love, we too can be transformed. And so it is important that we hear Dr. King's words directed at us, at our own minds and hearts, and that we reflect on how to respond in this moment. It is not enough to hear his words as confirmation of the values that we think we hold in our hearts. Dr. King spoke against systemic racism, economic inequality, militarism, and colonization. We see today how closely those systems are intertwined with ecological devastation. And all of these systems are systems that can be changed, that we have an opportunity to change in our own times if we can remain awake. We listen for what we can do, for how we can adapt our strategy for the greater cause of justice in these changing times rather than listening for assurances that we are some of the good people. It was so-called good people, people who said they were on the side of integration and voting rights, who wrote an open letter criticizing Dr. King in 1963. In April of that year, Dr. King and some of his co-organizers were arrested in Birmingham, Alabama for violating a city order against public protest. The letter from eight white ministers and rabbis called the protest unwise and untimely. And Dr. King's response was distributed in newspapers and pamphlets and eventually revised and reprinted in his book, Why We Can't Wait. Despite the fact that the original letter from the eight clergymen offered more comfort to segregationists than assistance to the movement, Dr. King believed in the possibility of transformation for those who shared the sentiments of the writers. And that's why he responded. Cornell West put it this way, yet from the cell of a Jim Crow Birmingham jail, King's love letter to his fellow clergyman is a flickering candle against the darkness. West calls letter from a Birmingham jail a love letter. It is a message of truth and a message of confidence in the humanity of the reader. Those who are half-hearted in the cause of justice can be heartened. We can be strengthened in our resolve to rise up for human dignity. 
some of the most famous of Dr. King's quotes about our interdependence, about how our liberation is tied together, come from this letter. In it, he wrote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In other words, oppression that is happening on the other side of an arbitrary border is still our business. If we don't live in the District of Columbia, DC statehood is still our business. If we don't live in one of the states rushing to pass voter suppression laws, voting rights are still our business. If the local school district where we live isn't trying to outlaw critical race theory, attacks on academic integrity and accurate history are still our business. Another part of letter from a Birmingham jail responds to questions about the method of the civil rights movement. And Dr. King writes, you may well ask why direct action, why sit-ins, marches and so forth? Isn't negotiation a better path? You are quite right in calling for negotiation. Indeed, this is the very purpose of direct action. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks to so dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. My citing the creation of tension as part of the work of the nonviolent resistor may sound rather shocking, but I must confess that I am not afraid of the word tension. I've earnestly opposed violent tension, but there is a type of constructive nonviolent tension which is necessary for growth. In our community, we may think that the value of nonviolent direct action is a settled matter. I'm not so sure. I have definitely encountered questions from well-meaning people who worry about optics if too many people are together or who equated one civil rights protester with a match against hordes of white supremacists with firearms at the Charlottesville unrest in 2017. Or who think blocking traffic to call attention to the urgent need for police reform is counterproductive and we should only protest in ways that don't inconvenience people. My hope is that we can return to Dr. King's words and remember that the people who are most impacted know something about the urgency of the issues they face. And it's not up to those of us who are most privileged to decide which nonviolent strategies are proportionate to the level of oppression. Dr. King expressed disappointment with those who claimed to support the goals of civil rights, but did not support the movement. He named the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Dr. King refers to the moderate who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Dr. King went on to observe shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating an absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. The writers to whom Dr. King was responding thought they were some of the good people. I imagine they were secure in their identity because they knew that segregation and voter disenfranchisement were wrong. Having certain opinions does not put our actions above reproach and it does not automatically confer wisdom or objectivity about the strategies needed to achieve justice. 
I often think of this passage when I hear those who carry privilege attempt to silence activists by criticizing their messaging or optics. I think about it when I hear someone claim to be a staunch ally and then threaten to withdraw their support because a person who experienced marginalization spoke harshly to them or went too far in making demands for justice. If a group of people who experience a form of oppression that I do not use a slogan or a hashtag that is bold to the point of making me uncomfortable, I think of this passage from Letter from a Birmingham Jail and I seek out more information about their experience rather than assuming that I know best. It's not up to me to set the timetable for another person's freedom. It may be that someone else can imagine a world rooted in justice, a world that does not give me unfair advantages more easily than I can. Those of us who have lay or professional leadership in communities of conscience also have a responsibility to help our whole communities mobilize. Dr. King expressed disappointment in communities that were more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. Though our own architecture is more plain, we still need to wrestle with the temptation to make our conversations within our walls non-confrontational. I have been asked on occasion to take care not to alienate those whose political leanings are poised against economic justice and voting rights. I feel that our shared purpose to work for a world where love and justice cross all borders is of greater importance than making people comfortable who do not share that goal. Happily, these requests are rare and are overwhelmingly outnumbered by those who ask for more resources and discussion about dismantling white supremacy. Even so, the lure of negative peace is ever present and it's up to us to keep each other awake. As we reflect on the legacy of Dr. King this weekend, I hope we are asking ourselves about the next moves toward justice and that we are strengthening the relationships with our partners in the work for justice. We cannot be so enamored with order that we uphold customs like the filibuster at the expense of voting rights. We cannot be so lulled into complacency by the promise of the absence of tension that we are diverted from the goal of the peace that comes through justice. Let us strengthen our rootedness and our mission to rise up for human worth and dignity. Let us listen to the call for transformation with humility. Let us renew our connections with our partners and friends moving with love and justice. Let us awaken each other to the new attitudes and outlooks that the new situation demands. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat about what resonated with you in this platform. In this time between, you might prepare for community sharing by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that illustrates the values that we're lifting up today. As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response.
So that is just so delightful. Um, really appreciate uh, Aaron's sharing. So this is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. I invite you to join in the Zoom chat if you are joining us live or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. And we have several um, comments and we also have some links in there to please, um, to opportunities to listen to more of this delightful music. Um, Aaron has provided the, the, those links. Shayla says, great platform as always, Lynn and Aaron, beautiful music and images. Rajesh says, Lynn, love the platform. Thanks for pointing to the danger in smugness and self-satisfaction, something I need to remind myself of often. Laura Steele says, thank you, Lynn, for reminders of three really important words to keep me remembering to stay awake. Possibility, hope, action. Lynn is enjoying the fact that Aaron has provided us with links to his music. Perry Bider says, very powerful message, Lynn. Thank you. It will echo in my mind and heart. Susan Runner says, amazing. Uh, thank you, Susan Runner from Aaron. Sherry Goodall says, your message gave me many things to reflect on. Wonderful. Glad you're here to, to join us and reflect. Perry says, Aaron, thank you for this morning's gorgeous music. I know there was talk about you playing at Wes uh, live when we were going to have that happen today, but not. I uh, look forward to the day when we can hear you in person. And I concur, Perry. Joe Klein says, powerful platform, Lynn. It is such an important point that people who don't directly experience a particular struggle should not try to control the pace and modality of that fight. Roberta Geyer says, appreciation for the platform and will reflect on the meaning of King's words in light of current events. Not, not too different from the past. Uh, sorry, trying to get that ready. Aaron says he's done 150 outdoor piano concerts since the pandemic. Sounds terrific. And there's, uh, again, there's a link in there. Sue Jacobson says, thank you, Lynn, for another amazing and thought-provoking platform and reminding us how important it is for us to stay active on voting and civil rights. Passively supporting these issues is not enough. Ann Baker says, Amen. Thanks for call, a call against complacency by those of us with privilege. Suggestions about action this week for voter rights or other issues? A, a question that Ann poses to if there are things we can do. Mark Mayer says, Thanks for the beautiful music. Platform, platform gives me much to think about. Indeed. So Lynn says she's, uh, they, they have um, 
some action steps. Always good to contact your Congress people if you live in a state with representation. If they are taking action, thank them. Also check side with love for other action items. Thank you, Lynn, for um, suggestions. Brian says, thank you, Brian Pichigian, thank you for this important platform. These reminders are needed often, including the action steps. And um, uh, Lynn has provided sidewithlove.org slash action center. And Laura Steele, please check out the YouTube of King reading the letter. Whew, wow, thank you for all of those comments. Uh, informal sharing may continue in the chat and certainly in our virtual coffee hour after platform. And just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split the connection, excuse me, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to the Leaders Caring Fund. The Leaders Caring Fund is a grant-making fund set aside for people within the West community who are experiencing a crisis. Members can apply for grants from this fund up to one per family per year. Grants from the Leaders Caring Fund have been used for medical bills, keeping the heat on, keeping a family, helping a family stay housed, and similar emergencies. Your generous gift to the Leaders Caring Fund will make a concrete difference in someone's life, perhaps someone close to you at West. It's good to be a part of a community where we can help each other in this way. On the slide, you will see the number to give by text, which is 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. So thank you for your generosity and we will now receive your gifts and the musicians' gifts of music.
thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. Thank you to musicians, including guest musician Aaron Hill and interim music coordinator Leah, Leah Morris. Thank you to Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator. Thank you to John and Abby Dakin, who created our slides, to Robin Kravitz for communications support. Thank you to Alex Abbott for hosting the upcoming virtual coffee hour. Thank you to Zoom usher Kate Lang. And thank you to tech host Pat McNeely with help from John Pfeiffer. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for virtual coffee hour. Once we're in the Zoom coffee hour space, we'll divide into breakout groups for small group social chatting. To get to coffee hour after closing words, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. Thanks also to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. You can find information about all of the opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or the news and notes emails, as well as on the website. The West Business Office will be closed tomorrow, January 17th, in observance of the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday. Sunday Ethical Action for Kids, otherwise known as SEEK, has a number of things going on. Next week's class for 3rd to 5th grade will be offered on Zoom at 10.30 a.m. Also next week, January 23rd, the Neighboring Faiths class for middle school is currently scheduled to meet in person in the social hall. Our Whole Lives for 7th and 8th grade is scheduled to resume in-person classes today at noon and again on January 23rd. All in-person classes are contingent on staff and volunteer availability, knowing that we may have to change plans if a key person becomes exposed, exposed to COVID. Please watch your email and the SEEK Facebook group for updates. For all age groups, please be sure your family is registered. If you aren't already receiving the SEEK newsletter, please contact Andara Miles. And there is a, there are links for registration and um, how to connect Andara. Next Saturday, join the Community Relations Committee this coming Saturday, January 22nd, from 2 to 4 p.m. for a workshop on sustaining positive relationships. We'll learn how to be present in our relationships and help all parties feel recognized and respected. Together, we'll explore empathy, humility, consent, and reconciliation, important building blocks to connection. The workshop will be by Zoom. Please sign up at tiny.cc crc and look for that URL in the chat. Please join us. These workshops have been very, very uh, informative and beneficial. On Sundays, February 6th and March 6th at 1 p.m., join the combined West Biology and Philosophy groups as we discuss Behave, the Biology of Humans at Our Best and Worst by Robert Sepolsky. We will present chapters 1 through 10 on February 6th and the remaining chapters on March 6th. Read the book and share your thoughts or just come for the summary and discussion. The Zoom will link will be forthcoming as we get 
closer to the date. In two weeks, we will alter our platform schedule to join other ethical culture communities for the online All Societies platform. On January 30th, we'll tune in by Zoom at 11 instead of 10.30 a.m. Um, so you can also find out the, uh, more about the societies, the January 30th All Societies platform. Um, there is a link in the chat for that as well. So the next platform will be Sunday, January 23rd. Guest speaker, the Reverend Kimberly Debus. I'm sorry, I don't know how. Debus, Kimberly Debus. Debus, thank you, sorry. Reverend Kimberly Debus will speak about the wisdom of broken things. We hope you'll join us on January 23rd at 10.30 by Zoom. And you can look at the website for all the latest news. Um, whew, and there is a lot going on. For one more update, here is Rajesh Vidyasagar. Oh my gosh, I'm having a day this morning from the Board of Trustees. Please forgive me, Rajesh. Hello, everybody. I'm Rajesh Vidyasagar. Thanks, Judy. The pronunciation is actually pretty good. And I'm a member of the Board of Trustees. This month, instead of a pre-recorded message from the board, we're going to do it live. The board recognizes and shares the disappointment of many members that safety concerns have returned us to all Zoom platforms and limited small group contact as a result of the Omicron virus. Best wishes for a speedy recovery to members and their families who've been affected. The reopening task force is carefully tracking trends in the pandemic spread and following best practices for our public health. The task force is doing a very thorough and thoughtful job, keeping the safety of members, their families, and the statement of purpose, sorry, excuse me, the West values firmly in mind. Okay, January 29th, an important day, is Strategy Saturday. For those who don't know what it is, it's the board's collaborative effort with lay leaders and the staff to determine the West focus goals for the coming year. The goals are derived from priorities we clarify and the statement of purpose, and they will help channel our energies in 2022-23. We've invited a broad cross-section of lay leaders and committee members to attend Strategy Saturday and share their thoughts and suggestions for West strategy. However, we have changed the format of Strategy Saturday this year. In preparation for the discussion, we've distributed some materials, including two videos, one recorded by Lynn on staff and governance, and the other by Mirka on Wes finances, the content of which she presented at the fall membership meeting. Participants have been invited to view these before coming to the session so that we can all build on the same knowledge base. We're also looking for ways to make the staff and governance video available to members. The Wes finances presentation is already part of the materials for the fall membership meeting and can be found in the members only section of the West website. We've also held two focus groups to generate ideas for the West strategy for 2022-23. One was for staff and board trustees and the other for lay leaders. 
We'll then meet for half a day on January 29 to pull all these ideas together and finalize our focus goals in the next program year. Thanks so much for your attention. Thank you to Rajesh and to all of the trustees for their hard work. And thank you all for being a part of the platform this morning. Let's enjoy our closing song for the month. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. One foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. One foot in front of the other and lead with love. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You're not alone. You're not alone. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. reminders as we close. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. To reach our virtual coffee hour, 
point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And we certainly, um, in, I invite you to join in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, setting intentions to bring out the best for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Thank you for being here for our virtual platform. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.